20 years ago, Josh and Bethany were sitting where you guys are, in Bible college, looking out over their future, teachers, trying to figure out what the next steps would be. In the last 20 years, God has done a remarkable thing in their lives. Bethany, Josh's wife, Bethany Taylor, is the executive director of a ministry called Harvest House. Almost every week, one or two or sometimes sibling groups of six or eight kids are brought to Harvest House, ministry on the campus of our church. Sometimes the kids come in the middle of the night. This year on Guam, CPS, Child Protective Services of Guam, was called 1,612 times to go to homes where children were in danger. Some were abandoned, some were neglected, many of them were abused in multiple ways. In many of these cases, these children were abruptly removed from the home, from infants to teens. And on Guam, every time a child is removed from a home, they're immediately brought to Harvest House on our campus. They come with nothing. Dirty clothes on their backs, maybe a small bag of belongings, and they come confused and scared and vulnerable, incredibly vulnerable. But when they come and and meet the staff at Harvest House, they're met with a warm smile and with gentle hands and with a shower and a clean bath and clean clothes and food and love, and then they're connected with a family. Might be for a few days or, or it might be for a long time. This week on Guam, there are 600, uh, in fact, uh, Bethany just told me there are 608 children needing families. I want to tell you this morning that the reason that Harvest House exists and the reason that families like the Taylors do what they do, it's not just because they have a tender heart that their heart was moved by hurting children. There's something else, and it's big. And I want you to hang on to that thought, because I want to answer that at the end, and I want to tell you how it applies to you and why I'm talking about it this morning. But I want the Scriptures to lead us there. And so that's why we're here in James chapter 1. I want to pick up the context in verse 22, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. Here's what the Word of God says. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, But a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. There are two primary lessons we're going to look at this morning. The first one is this. Genuine religion is not about religious activity. So the point of these first verses is this. If any man is a hearer of the word, but does not do it, it does not change the person, then he's just... Vain. It's just worthless religion. He's just kind of going through the motions. If you come to chapel and you hear the word, but then you leave and and that word doesn't change how you live in any way the rest of the week, 
I mean, it's kind of like one day, a few years from now, let me give you a little bit of a, a marriage advice. So let's say you're out working in the yard and you're, you're moving dirt. It's hot and it's sweaty and it's grimy. And your wife comes out and she says, hey, hey, honey, don't forget that uh, we're going out to eat tonight. It's kind of date night. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you run in and you walk in the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you go, there's nothing to change here. I mean, who wouldn't want a piece of this? But the reality is you've got dirt caked all over your face and your hair's a mess and uh, your unibrow needs some work and, you know, uh, you, you definitely need a shower and some deodorant. I mean, that's really, it's kind of silly. That's verse 23 and 24. I mean, that's what it's saying. In fact, verse 26 says this, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. All right, so we have this picture and these examples of this vain religion. And the idea is kind of going to church and attending chapel, but it's not making one bit of difference in your life the rest of the week. Nobody wants that. So what does genuine religion look like? Well, Let's read verse 27. It says this, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We're going to say it this way. Genuine religion is when we imitate our Father by living distinctly and intervening to help the helpless. I think that's verse 27. Okay, let's talk about these two things. Living distinctly, that's the end, uh, the last part of verse 27 says, keep himself unspotted or unstained from the world. Actually, there's a process that develops in this text. We don't have time to develop and expose it, but let me just overview it quick. Um, the transforming word of God, that's verse 25. Verse 25 says, we look into the scripture and continue therein and stay there. All right, so this isn't just kind of a casual overview. I mean, this is uh, persevering there in the Word, not just one ear and out the other. It's paying attention. It's thinking. It's considering. So if any man will look into the Scripture and then be a doer of the work, so the Scripture then changes how you respond. You kind of clean out that dirt. You, you take care of that mess. All right, so the transforming Word of God, verse 25 leads us to a right relationship with God. That's the end of verse 25. This man will be blessed in his deed. Which leads us to a pure life, verse 27, and compassionate care for the hurting. All right, so that's the context. That's how this verse, these verses flow together. And the point of this text is not that if you want to have a right relationship with God then go out and do good works. Visit the fatherless. Care for the widows. That's not the point. The point is, if you want to have a right relationship with God, if you want to be blessed in your deeds or blessed in your life, then let God's word do its work in your life. Let it expose. Let it identify. And then... It's going to cause you then to be a doer of the work. And when that happens, you live distinctly. You won't live like everybody else around you. 
There will be a difference. So that's living distinctly. Genuine religion is when we imitate our Father by living distinctly and, verse 27, intervening to help the helpless. It says, visit the orphans, the fatherless, and the widows in their affliction. It's a very interesting phrase for a bunch of reasons. I mean, first, why orphans and widows? I mean, there are a lot of other options. Why not the poor or why not the lame? Let me give you just a couple of reasons because they're important for our conclusion here. First, they're typically unable to reciprocate in any way. So it's this clear test of motives. I think that's one of the reasons why James says the widows and orphans. Second, listen to this, they are representative of those who are helpless or need help. Hang on to that. More than any other group, the fatherless and the widows, particularly in that society, I mean, go back and, and read the book of Ruth and you'll see they're just totally reliant on the mercy and the good graces of others. So they're representative of those who are helpless or need help. And then third, they're particularly vulnerable in the pressure of often exceedingly difficult circumstances. And I want to talk about that. Verse 27 uses the word affliction. And it means the pressures of difficult circumstances. And these two groups in particular, the fatherless and the widows experience a level of abandonment and loneliness that very few others feel. And these two things, feeling abandoned and alone, lonely, have a tendency to rock your world in ways that are hard to describe. In a moment, for many of these families that we're talking about this morning, their whole world crashes in. Think of these foster kids in particular. Man, if I had time, I could tell you all kinds of stories. I'll tell you about one family just a few years ago came through the doors of Harvest House and actually connected with one of the families in our church. They had, uh, at the time that these kids came into the foster care system is the time they entered through the portal of Harvest House. There were, there were five kids in this family and one on the way. There's two older brothers, uh, teens, and then there was a 10-year-old girl. And then Carson was three, and Louie was 18 months, and uh, Ronnie was six months still to come, would be born six months from now. Louie was 18 months old. When Louie came into Harvest House and was connected with the family, his... his uh, his stomach protruded. His eyes were sunk in. His head, his head was deformed and he really had no body muscle mass. And his head was deformed because they'd just been laying on the ground. He had a foot and a hand were deformed because they'd been eaten by rats. Louis in his 18 months of life had, had nothing else for nourishment but rice and Kool-Aid. I mean, that was it. And he did not make any sounds. Not even to cry. Listen, an orphan child is particularly vulnerable. 
anyone who's worked with these kids and their families, there is a distinct vulnerability on so many levels, emotionally, physically, behaviorally. But even with these very young ones and, and up through the teens, the sense of grief and the loneliness is something that they will never forget. And if you talk with them or try to walk through life with them, you'll never forget it either. So what are we supposed to do about this? This affliction that the fatherless and the widows, these foster kids and these orphans, what are we supposed to do about this affliction? Well, verse 27 says that we are to visit them. We are to meet them in their affliction. We are to intervene for them in their affliction. When they're helpless and they need help. When they cannot reciprocate in any way, there's nothing they're going to give back to you in in turn for what you give to them. And when they're particularly vulnerable in the pressures of exceedingly difficult circumstances, in the middle of the night when they're taken from their home and brought someplace with people that they're totally unfamiliar with, and when it's not convenient for anybody else to help them, and when their little hearts are broken, and when life is so complex that they're having a hard time coping. They're having a hard time putting the pieces together in their, you know, their 8, 9, 10, 12 years old. When life is so complex that they're having a hard time coping. And when they've experienced so many things at some very young ages, we are to meet them. We are to intervene for them. We're to visit them. Psalm 68. Psalmist says, Sing unto God, sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rides upon the heavens by His name Jehovah. And rejoice before Him because He is a father of the fatherless and a judge. It means protector. And a protector of the widows is God in His holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus calls, remember this, and he sets a little child and puts him in the middle of them. And he says this, whoever shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. But whoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So I asked at the beginning that there's a reason that Harvest House exists and there's a reason that families like the Taylors do what they do. Listen to this. It's very important. It is not just that we love and care for foster children who've had their lives so radically disrupted many times over and over again. We do care for that. But it is more than that. We do it because we love God. And it is in this way that we're most like our Father. 
And it's our love for God that compels us to keep moving forward when it is totally inconvenient. If you're doing it just because you have a soft heart for kids, when it's inconvenient, then that goes away. But when we know that we love God and he's shown this to us, then you keep moving forward in spite of the inconvenience. And here's why we're talking about this today. Here's how it applies to you. I am praying that maybe this morning we would plant a seed that in time will bear fruit uh, really all across the country in, in, in every location where BJU students land. That we would intentionally and sacrificially and inconveniently live out not because you have a soft heart that hurts for hurting kids, but because you love Jesus. And I did a quick search. In South Carolina today, there's 3,945 kids in foster care. 13.7% of them, five, 546 of these Kids are in Greenville County. In fact, if you add in Spartanburg County, a little bit over 200, Lawrence County, just shy of 100, just, just right around 900 kids in the foster care system right, right around us, right around our campus. And I guarantee you that those kids are facing the trauma and vulnerability. It's no it's no different for them than it is on Guam. And what would happen? What would happen if a hundred, you know, BJU students or two hundred kind of banded together and said, Man, we're gonna do something about living out James one twenty seven with these kids that are right around us? They just want somebody who'll care for them. Be a big brother, be a big sister. Quite a few years ago now, Faith, my wife Faith and I visited her parents in Detroit, Michigan. And we went to church for them on Christmas Eve morning. I'll never forget this morning. There were three kids that walked into that service that morning. It had to be two brothers and a sister. One in particular, the oldest boy, I can still remember his face. Big, strong kid, kind of tough looking. He had a shaved head. I don't know, maybe 16 years old and... When the preaching started, I'd never seen anything like this. He laid down on the pew and he put his feet out in the aisle and he went to sleep. I mean, he just did. He laid straight down. And I don't know what you would have thought, but I, I sat there in this service. You know, God speaks to me kind of in some funny ways. And I, all I could think, this Christmas Eve service, all I could think of the whole time was, why did this kid come to church today? I guarantee you, no, nobody made him do it on Christmas Eve. And if someone doesn't reach him in these years, and I'm telling you guys, that, that day was life-changing for me. Not so much about that particular kid and that particular situation, but about what he represented. And the question is, who is going to reach him? 
And I started thinking about needy groups that he represented. I mean, teens and children and, and seniors and addicts and, and people in jail and just out of jail and mentally challenged and physically handicapped and deaf people and single moms. And we could go on. Vulnerable people in affliction, in difficult circumstances in life. And I started thinking, how are we going to reach them in our community? Because they're all around us. Who is going to care enough to be inconvenienced? And I know this, you guys. I know that God did not save you in order for you to practice your religion by going to church. Even a good one like the ones that we have here in Greenville. God has called you to care. And to visit, we're to meet them, those who are abandoned and lonely in their affliction, and to intervene for them in their affliction. That's it. That's what I got. Go be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Father, I pray. I pray today that you would do something in some of these kids' lives that you've done in mine. That we would not live lives of vain religion. That we would allow your word to change our hearts, transform our lives, to live distinctly and to care for people in the way that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.